Hi there, and welcome to How To with Ann Malum. When deciding to do this podcast, I really wanted to create something that could give people real tools on how to execute on certain things. So often we talk about things on such a macro scale that yes, leaves people inspired, but with no real idea on what the steps are to make something in their own life happen. I challenge and encourage and probe my amazing guests to get granular and specific on their strategies, their mindset, their tactics, and their methodologies so that you can learn practical, actionable steps to best optimize your confidence, career, health, and wealth. What's up, everybody? And welcome to the How To Podcast with Ann Malum. Today, I am thrilled to have Brian Bogert here today. Brian's How To is how to identify and take out your emotional trash, the one thing keeping you stuck, right? We all have that emotional trash. Uh, I can't wait to get him started. Let me tell you a little bit about Brian. He has helped countless men take out the trash by expertly digging into the root cause of their triggers and uncovering the reasons why they react the way they do. As a human as human behavior and performance coach, speaker, and business strategist, Brian disrupts the normative approach on how to create sustainable growth and lasting change personally and professionally. His philosophies on how to embrace pain to avoid suffering Scanning the can, so to speak, and taking out your emotional trash have helped individuals and companies discover and activate their limitless potential. There's a lot there, Ryan, where, well, one, let's just start by telling people a little bit about you and how you got into this space and the work that you do. Yeah, yeah. Well, a little bit about me uh, is I'm a husband and father first. I say that always, it's the only thing binary in my world, uh, meaning everything else exists somewhere in the gray area. The gift is always there. But with my family, if they're not good, I have and I will walk away from things consistently to ensure their stability. So I always acknowledge that. But beyond that, uh, you know, I'm a man, I'm, a, I'm, I'm just deeply fascinated in the human experience, deeply fascinated in human behavior, human performance and human connection. Everything in this world involves people. And so uh, a lot of people have said for a long time, like, you know, what are you an expert in? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm like a jack of all trades in a whole lot of areas, but I'm an expert in people, right? Because I've gone deep there, both in myself and with others. You know, I have to, I have to start at the beginning to give context as to why I'm here and where I'm always. I that, but, but this is really the rooting story that kind of started me on the path 31 years ago. Uh, when I was seven, I was with my mom and my brother at our local Walmart. And we went to get just a one inch paintbrush. Anyone who's known me for more than a couple of minutes, and you can probably tell already if you're listening, I talk fast, I'm loud, I move fast, I walk fast. I've always had this like vigor and excitement for life. So it didn't surprise my mom at all that I was the first one in the car. But she and my brother were three or four feet behind me. And as I was standing there waiting for her to catch up, this was back in the days before key fobs. So I had to wait for my mom to literally stick her hand in the purse, grab her keys, put it in the door, turn it before I could even contemplate getting in so we could go on their way. And while all that was starting to take place, a truck pulled up in front of the store, parked, and the driver and middle passenger got out. Passenger all the way to the right felt the truck moving backwards. So, and he did what any one of us would do, and he scooted over to put his foot on the brake. But he instead hit the gas. Combination of shock and force threw him up on the steering wheel, up on the dashboard, and before you know it, he's going 40 miles an hour across the parking lot right at me with no time to react. Hits our car, knocks me over, runs over me diagonally, tearing my spleen, leaving a tire track scar on my stomach, and then continuing on to completely sever my left arm from my body. Wow. 115 degree day, 6, 10 PM in Phoenix, Arizona. Next thing my mom hears is my brother's voice saying, mom, Brian's arm is over there. 
And as she looks up, she sees the trail of meat cooking like hamburger on the asphalt and my arm 10 feet away. Now, it's a success story. And I'll wrap this up relatively quickly in, the, in this part of it. But one thing I have to always say is I always have to honor the woman that is responsible for me being here today. And my mom is one of those women. But there was a nurse that walked out of the store right when this took place. And she saw the literal life and limb scenario that took place. And I've said for years that I was forever indebted to this woman for her choice to go into action that day. But that statement became even more powerful last August on the 30th anniversary of the accident when I met her for the first time. And I learned that she had a friend with her that day who was also a nurse, who also had all the same training that she had, who did not go into action that day. And I want to be really clear. No bad energy towards this person. She had every right to do that. That was well within her right. But it reinforces the point on when we do take action, the ripple effect that can take place. Right. She came over and stopped the bleeding on the main wound, put my arm on ice within minutes, which is the reason that I can be here with you today without just a stump or without my life. I'm here with both. And that's what I want everyone to understand is regardless of the extremities of your stories, that's important is that you pause long enough to become aware of the lessons that you can extract from your stories and then become intentional with how do you apply them in your life moving forward. So this conversation, I'm going to embed those lessons, but that's what I wanted everyone to hear. Your story is where it all lives. Okay, well, I have to stop and pause you because we have so much in common more than I think that you even realize. So four years, almost four years ago to the date, I was riding jet skis with my friend and I stopped, like he hadn't even left the dock yet. I stopped, the sunset was perfect. And I was like fixing something on my jet ski and I hear, oh my God, Ann, watch out. He T-boned me, um, threw me off my, my, my jet ski, ran it right into my leg. You know, I like get, I come to out of the water and I'm like, what the hell, dude? You know, I'm like, I, what, what, what just happened? And I reach up and grab my leg and my bone is sticking out of my, out of my right leg. I'm in the, I'm in brackish water. You know, there's yeah. literally, I had a house down there at time. And Brian, I'm not kidding when I say there are no boats around there ever. Like no boats ever come around. My friend goes and tries to get help. All my friends come out. They're trying to get me out of the, you know, the water. I'm like laying on this jet ski and this boat out of like nowhere comes. And on the boat is like a paramedic. And it was just like he gets me on this boat, you know, wraps, my, you know, takes my leg and wraps it um, with a towel they're calling 911, a medical officer comes and I remember this guy grabbing me and I just look at him and I'm like, am I gonna lose my leg? And he's like, I don't know. And um, they fly me in a helicopter and I, what ensued was 10 days, seven surgeries and whatever. And I and I have my leg and like all of these things, but they're like, same, same for you. You just think about if this jet ski, like literally an inch in either direction would have taken off my leg, therefore I would have bled to death. There's no way I would have survived that long for by the time the, the the medics came and whatever, and I probably would have drowned because of whatnot. But um, it's just crazy and wild to to think about those things. So when you have that situation happen to you, your perspective on everything completely changes. Yeah, it does. And what's interesting is, you know, it's completely different as a seven year old versus an adult as well. <laughs> and that's, I think, what's interesting is I say for a lot of years I was kind of in a fog, right? Because I was being guided through the process, and though I was very, very real and very intimate and understood a lot. What, what's crazy is I used to think this was my transformation story and it's not. It's the one that created a bunch of trash that I buried for another period of my life until I re-experienced some things later. But but it does shift perspective very hard. And I would tell you that like that's one of the things that I had to center myself in. And I remember at seven, these thoughts going through my head, like 
man, what is my wife going to look like? My life's going to look like, why me? Like, what, like, what is the, like, what is this going to mean? Like at seven, I'm going through this. And, and I, I, what's funny is I talk about the first 48 hours. Like I thought it was a dream. Mm-hmm. Like even in my memory, I don't remember, I remember being between worlds and mm-hmm. being like, feeling like I was watching what was happening to me, but experiencing it as well. And then being disconnected from the whole thing. But when I, when I, when I was in the ICU, that got rattled out of me really fast because yeah. we started having families come up to us saying, we're so sorry for what happened to you. Oh my gosh. It's so traumatic. What can we do to help? And then we find out that their kid's laying in the hospital bed next to me with a terminal illness and doesn't know if they're going to live for another 30 days. Mm-hmm. My life was secure at that yeah. point. Right. Now, whether or not I ever had use of my arm again, didn't matter, but that's when I really started to ground. And that was where one of my core lessons came from was I learned not to get stuck by the things that had happened to me, but instead get moved by what I could do with them. It took me a lot longer to unpack all the details of what that meant, but it, truly like, yes, you think those thoughts and I'm sure all of those things, same things as an adult were wrapping through your mind. Like, where does this look like? Where does this go? How does this shift my career, my relationships, everything? Well, and Brian, the question that you asked yourself, I did the same thing of this wasn't supposed to happen to me. And then once I said that a few times, I'm like, oh my God, that is such a selfish privilege thing to say. Do you think anybody who gets in any kind of accident thinks that this was supposed to happen to me. I'm the kind of person that this was supposed to happen to. It just, it really was like, it it helped me realize a lot about opportunity access. And again, accidents happen and we all don't have the same opportunities and just the empathy that it created in my own world for for myself and a lot of other people um, was really bound for me. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a traumatic situation for sure. And I'm happy that you've navigated it. And I know that for me, uh, it took me 20 to 25 years to realize how much I shut off just to survive through that whole period as well. And, you know, that's what I spent the last 12 kind of unpacking and reconnecting with. And that's how we help people dig through and, you know, transform their waste into wealth. Cause we genuinely believe digging through it's the only way to connect and convert in your business and your life and your relationships. Yeah. And I, I mean, listen, my whole career is based off of that, my whole professional career. And I think you'll find a lot of entrepreneurs and people that once you decide to take your pain and turn it into helping yourself and other people, it's a fucking superpower. Like you don't realize how motivated, you know, I, I started a nonprofit to um, help people that were currently living in homeless shelters. And I never would have cared about them if it wasn't for my dad and his own addictions and how that impacted me and how I, how I in some weird, you know, universal magical way healed myself through helping other people and using sport to do that. I mean, it, it just like made sense. It's like, we all have choices. We can either let our pain consume us or yeah. we can use it to, you know, create a lot of good in the world. Yeah. And and I do think everybody has that opportunity and, and, and choice if you care to use it. Yeah. And, and by the way, I'm not suggesting that this is the case for you, but, but what I also heard in your story is a very similar path and pattern, not only to my own, but many other high performers is that for some variety of reasons, we've learned to receive love, validation, and connection through performance that we identify and we we move through a variety of different things that it's easy to share our story to get others to open up so that then we're focusing on them and helping their problems when we still haven't dealt with all of our own right like there's this pattern of performance that that you know shame deeply gets ingrained into and all of these different intellectual and emotional narratives that get wrapped up in belief of self and so you know that's also the truth is it's like yeah trauma can be a moment that shapes you and drives you but there's also a lot of people and again myself was one of them that was included I shut off a lot, not even realizing it for years as well. And I performed and I delivered in mental toughness and my mental strength was good and I crushed life. 
but I was still empty. I was still isolated. I was still alone. I was still disconnected. And it almost led to a path for me losing my wife and my kids because of undealt with shame and anger, despite external success at levels that most people couldn't imagine. And so all of that is, I have to acknowledge it because though I'm not saying that's your story, that's also a really common pattern is 30 years can go by and it is a superpower, but it doesn't necessarily mean that every one of those people has actually done the work to be able to connect most deeply with themselves and those that they care most about. Oh, totally. And, and uh, you can, I will raise my hand and say that's exactly it. I've always associated, you know, people who talk about, oh, their parents pressured them so much and they only got a love for their achievement. I was weirdly the opposite where I was the overperformer from a very young age. And I wondered why my parents didn't love me more. I'm like, I am getting straight A's. I play varsity sports. Yeah. I'm the, the school paper. I take more credits. I'm straight A's. It's just like, why don't you love me more than my brother and sister? So for me to get the love that I felt like I deserved, you start to be like, oh, I need to continue to perform. How do I be special? How do I be unique? How do I do these things that are going to make me stand out, you know, even, even more. And when you do those and you start to get adoration and admiration, even though it's from strangers and it's surface level, there's some level. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Totally. It's fuel, but often, often what I find is it's empty in the beginning. Mm -hmm. right? It's empty fuel. It drives people, but it doesn't necessarily give them the fulfillment that they're really seeking on the other end of it. And it's just a process. So that's, that's, you know, again, and it, this is all in my story too. This is all of my life. Everything I'm saying is not projecting on anyone else. It's from real experience. Right. You know, I rewrote my own when I was 20, I almost lost it again. Right. So when I said it was different as a kid versus an adult, I experienced it as an adult as well. And we learned a lot of those same experiences and realized how disconnected I actually was. Right. We have to put in the work and pay attention to what's what what messages we're getting from our life. Yeah. Well, let's let's get into this. Let's get into some of these specifics for folks of how you help people identify that. And, you know, do you work a lot with high performers? Who's mainly your audience that you're working with? And if someone's listening and it's like, oh, my God, they're talking to me. You know, where do you start and what do you say? Yeah. So I would tell you that in my one to one work, I typically am working with that high performer, whether it's in athletics or sports. Um, or business, right? Or sorry, I said athletics or sports. It's the same thing. Athletics or business, right? So I often work with entrepreneurs and I'm typically working with people who've already established an external level of success based on how the world defines it, mm -hmm. right? But they've either hit stagnation, they're not getting the growth that they want in their business, or they're starting to realize that there's all these other pieces where they're feeling empty and disconnected in their life. And they're trying to realign while still making sure they can get exponential growth that they've expected in the past. Mm -hmm. Those are the folks that I work most with on a one-to-one -one perspective. We work with groups and a variety of other people, though, because what I have to say is we're on a mission to impact over a billion lives as quickly as we can by reducing the level of suffering that exists on this planet. So if you're listening to this and you're like, man, I can't pay four and five figure coaching fees. Guess what? We've got solutions that are zero or very low barrier of entry from a financial reason, because we've got communities and places that we want to help people move regardless of where they are. So I wanted to give that distinction. Um, I think the best place to start with this, to really start to under, understand like how we go through this, I want people to understand like what is trash? What does it do? And to first be able to identify like, do I have it? Mm -hmm. And then what we can do before the end of the conversation is we'll give some of the pillars of trash to help give framing on specifically how to identify and remove it. Okay, so let's follow that path. But the question I'll ask is right in the line of what we were saying is like anybody who's listening to this, have you ever missed a sale because you were a too afraid to ask? Have you ever felt taken advantage of by a client or a friend because they know that you're always going to say yes? Have you ever overextended yourself or 
felt like you weren't getting the connection or that more people wanted something from you than for you. If you associate with any of those things, like I, I can promise you that they are connected to trash. And when we say trash from your past, I think it's really important to understand what that means, right? For me, the trash from our past is typically tied to the emotional triggers, behavioral patterns, and environmental conditioning that have caused us to believe things about ourselves, okay? They're those things that we've tried to bury, pretend weren't there, or have convinced ourselves that we've worked through, we healed from, but yet it continues to come back as our fatal flaw, right? We continue to have those abandonment issues in relationships. We continue to feel lack of trust with our teams and our partners. We can like, All of these patterns are connected to trash. Trash does three things, and I want to hit this first, and then we'll go into that, how do you know if you have it? Okay. So we have to understand the human experience as we understand trash. And I think that, and we all seek and desire four things, okay? We all want to feel safe. We all want to feel protected. We all want to feel seen and understood. And we all want to feel connected. Now, when we walk into an environment that we don't feel protected or safe, what do we do, Anne? Uh, you shut down, you leave. Fight or flight. Protect ourselves, right? In some form or fashion, right? We might be guarded, we might armor, we might leave, we might completely disassociate. All of that is a protectionary mechanism, right? Mm -hmm. So through that lens, you know what a 35-gallon black trash bag looks like for those outdoor bins? Mm -hmm. Imagine one folded open flat, not open like you're putting it in a can, but just flat. You've unfolded it, you're ready to open it. Now I want you to hold one corner in each hand and hold it in front of you, okay? Just imagine that black trash bag right in front of you. That's your armor. That's your protection. Now I want you to tell me, how could you properly portray who you are, what you want, your intent, your desire, your heart, your soul, your beliefs, your boundaries, what you're willing to do, what you're not willing to do, the way that you're going to communicate, delivered through an invisible force field? And then that's assuming that the person on the other side of it isn't also carrying their own that's going to further dilute the message. So the second we protect ourselves, we actually guarantee that we're not going to get the two things we want most, which is to be seen and understood and to be connected, okay? So we have to understand this, that the second we protect ourselves, we disconnect ourselves, okay? Now, two other things that trash does, and this is important to understand. They're, now imagine you're holding two bags in front of you, okay? They're both full with trash. You're in the fitness space, you look strong, and if I gave you two fully loaded 35 gallon bags, how long could you hold them? Um, not very long. <laughs> and, and what would happen the longer you held them? Yeah, you'd get agitated, you'd get frustrated, you, you, you know, you're draining your energy. Yeah, your, your shoulders start to get shot, you're carrying a bunch of weight, all of a sudden it's getting, it feels like it's getting heavier even though the weight never changes. Mm -hmm. Guess what? The trash from your past and your armor are the exact same thing. The longer you carry it, the more it will incrementally crush you. It, ha it gets heavier and it gets stinkier. The yeah. third thing that trash does, and we have to pay attention to this, there's two types of people in this world. Just like there's two types of trash cans. Those with lids and those without. Okay? There's those without lids. Okay? We all know those people. They're the ones that come in and they're constantly complaining about everything in life. It's just like an emotional blanket of just pouring and there's zero self-regulation, zero perspective of even tonality, context, and rooms. They just are those people, right? Now, here's the thing. Let's imagine our trash cans through the lens of our home. You, you have a trash can in your kitchen, I'm assuming. You probably take out that trash every single day, just about. Yep. Right? And if you don't, what happens? It starts to pile up and it will overflow. 
It'll fill up the kitchen, right? It'll start impacting your ability to get quality food, good nutrition, connection, communion. It'll start going into your living room and dining room where you might have other relationships. It'll start going down the hallway to your kids' rooms, into your business, into your home gym. If we don't take the trash out in our house every day, it piles up to the point that it literally starts physically blocking us from who and what we want in our own lives. It's no different here. Yeah. Right? So those without lids dump everybody in, in their trash. And the ones with lids are like me. I had a seal. I had a lock. And what does that mean? I built a bomb of trash shrapnel that got released and literally buried everybody else in my trash. Yeah. So if we know that it impacts the other people in our life, we know it disconnects us, and we know that it gets heavier the longer we carry it, why are we still carrying it? Well, we protect it? Let's answer that question. Why do, why do you see people do it? What do they hang on to? Do they get just used to it? Do they think this is the way things are supposed to be? Is it Does it become some sort of uh, familiar identity that we don't know who we are without it? So it looks different for every person, but every one of those examples works, right? So there's an individual, great example. She was a CFO who left and she was at a big four financial firm. As a CFO to leverage and build her own business over the first three years, she wrecked her credit score. And she all of a sudden was starting to feel like imposter syndrome overtake herself to the point that she couldn't tell her clients about it. She wasn't communicating about it. She didn't understand it. When in reality, all she had to do is neutralize and diffuse that she has the most relevant experience for people who are in financial distress and understanding and how to repair it because of her experience and where she was at. She was afraid of the judgment, the criticism, not being able to convert in her business, right? And that was a very specific example. But how many others show up in a room and feel like they're never seen and understood? They're, nobody gets them. They feel isolated. They feel alone no matter where they go. And they're conditioned to carry that. So most people are like, how do I know if I have trash? So, and we can play this game and you can either play it along with me or the audience can listen to it. But I always ask the first question just to help you understand if you have it. Who was the last person that made you feel like garbage? My mother. You answered the question immediately. Yeah. Okay. Now, are you willing to talk about that right now? We can actually start to walk through some of the pillars real time. Yeah, if you're not, that's okay. Okay. No, we can, we can do it. Oh, so the very next thing that I want to get people to root into, and we'll go through the pillars in a second is, okay, your mother was the last person that made you feel like garbage. What did that feel like in your body? Oh, I mean, I, I could feel the anger and emotion just, just, it was brewing. It was completely distracting me from, I was actually in the middle of a workout and I had to stop working out. I felt so much inside of me yep. and I'm just like, this is consuming, overwhelming, and I can't focus. So you did what almost everybody does, which is to give the answer in the form of an emotion and an external feeling, right? Mm -hmm. Like pressure, lack of ability to think, all those things. I'm going to challenge you to give me a physiological response in your body. What was happening with your heart? What was happening with your lungs? What was happening? Like, give me a physiological response. Oh, yeah, I did. I, when I felt like my body was heating up, I, I felt like yeah, it was getting very warm and I could definitely feel my heart rate elevating. It was again, whether the protection mode or, or again, like I have to fight or, you know, yep. yeah. So we'll come back full circle to your stuff in a second, if it's relevant. But what I want everybody to listen to and understand is, Anne still has trash. I still have trash. Every single one of you has trash. The very first thing I have to have you here before I give you the pillars is the trash from your past is not your fault. It just becomes your responsibility once you become aware of it or you start burying others in your trash. Yeah. And, and if you have a low frequency negative reaction, you can identify the last time I felt like garbage. You can get in your body. My guess is that that physiological response is something that you've experienced in other moments in your life 
where you felt unseen, challenged, disconnected, unworthy in business or in relationships. You've experienced that same physiological response independent of your mother, right? Um, yes. Yes. Which also goes to show that it's a cellular response. We have cellular memory in the ways that we protect ourselves because we're conditioned to be in fight or flight through pure survival. It's, it's a fact. But 100 years ago, we cut our leg, we could die. That's not our reality as much anymore today. I mean, three years ago, you almost lost your leg and you have it. I lost my arm. It's reattached. Like, it's a different game that we often play, but we react to it the same way as if we're running from a T-Rex from our historic days, right? Like, that's just the truth. So here's what's important. We have to view this objectively and we have to view this non-judgmentally for ourselves, but here are the five pillars, okay? These are not linear. They are more like an infinity that constantly evolves in and out of each other. But the one that I'm gonna start with has to happen before any of the others do, and it's awareness, okay? That might seem a little bit intuitive. It might seem cliche to say that, but this is not just becoming more aware of all the ways that you should be judging yourself. Awareness is about extracting how you feel, the narratives and the lessons that are tied to your experiences that allow you to see you more clearly. This is perspective seeking. This is understanding. Okay. Why do I say this? I dealt with a deep level of shame. I dealt with a deep level of anger. I had to become aware of the fact that my shame was impacting my ability to connect with my wife, my kids, grow my business, was impacting my health, my relationship with my physical pain. I had to be aware before I could do anything. But the first problem is, is most people start asking why questions and then they just get caught in that loop of all the ways they should be judging themselves. It defeats the whole point because then you're stuck in the shame and blame, okay? So awareness has to happen first. The second is ownership, okay? This is actively accepting your part or responsibility for your life, the issues in your life, business, relationships, and health. Blame and game again are off the table. This is also about perspective. Right. That because Brian, again, like, and I, I agree with these things, but one thing I talk about with people is when we blame and shame, the only person who loses is ourselves. So we sort of feel entitled in these emotions, but it's like, you're the only one who loses if you don't work through this. And as soon as you get that and understand that it's, it, you know, you start to be like, oh, I, I can't just be a bitch and play the victim role and do these things. Yeah. Like that it doesn't, you're not going to win by doing that. The unavoidable precursor to change is acceptance. So until we accept the current state of things, we cannot alter them, right? And you're right, the shame and blame, it also puts us in that low frequency energy just by even committing it to thought. Even when we do it to ourselves, when we wake up in the morning and say, I should have woken up earlier, I should have done this. By the way, should is a shame-based word because it implies whoever you are, whatever you're doing isn't good enough. Mm-hmm. And if we look at Hawkins scale of frequency and energy, shame is like 20, right? Like It's like the lowest measuring positive frequency, but it drains us. And so I really try to get people to escape the shame and blame because that's what ownership is, right? Ownership, a good example of ownership, and I'll, I'll, I'll prepare this for my story. The reality of it is, is like my wife used to ask me questions like this. Hey, babe, what are we going to do with the kids this weekend? My shame filter would cause me to hear it this way. Hey, honey, you've not done enough to be a good husband and father this week. So what are you going to need to make up for it this weekend? Yeah. I love it. And Brene Brown said, you know, I don't know Brene Brown, but she says. I know Brene, yeah, yeah. Okay. So she has a very similar thing when she says, when you're having a disagreement, start with saying, the story I'm telling myself is because it's not usually the same story the other person hears. And it's exactly what happened between you and your wife. 
And so what would happen? I'd feel the bubbling up, the heat rise, my lungs, chest, my heart starting to race. And what would I do? I'd react and rattle off the 10 things I've done in the last four days to show her I'm a good husband and father. That wasn't even what she was asking, right? Mm -hmm. I had to take ownership for the fact that I did that. That was my trash. That was the stuff that caused me to react. And oh, by the way, when we create damage, we also need to seek repair. And so part of ownership is the repair, right? So what does that look like? It can look like a variety of different things. In situations like that, it could literally be like, hey, babe, I, I really apologize for reacting the way I did. I didn't hear you clearly. And that wasn't fair based on what you said, right? Complete ownership. The other side of it, though, is when we unpacked my anger for the very first time, it was only two years ago at the deepest level. Didn't even know it was there. It was buried so deep it could really be excavated. I knew about my shame for years before that, but not my anger. Mm -hmm. What did I have to do? I went and I sat down with people as well in my life. Her parents were some of the first I met with. And here's what happened. I told them, here's what I've done in the past to make sure that we're more disconnected. Here's what your daughter and your grandkids deserve that I wasn't capable of giving them. Here's the awareness that I now have and the ownership and what I'm going to take moving forward. And you know what her dad said? Reinforced a lesson that we told our son since the time he was born. Her dad said, great, you talk too much. Show me. Hmm. The world will never, ever judge you based on your intent. They will always judge you based on your actions. And so what has to happen in repair is enough time to reestablish trust. And new actions that show new behaviors and different outcomes so that there's a belief system. I ate shit for six months after unpacking anger in my house because I made a promise to my wife and I was burying my own reactions until six months later she realized she wanted to do some work as well. Mm -hmm. But if I reacted in all of those moments, I'm only perpetuating the problem. Yeah. Yeah, I want to give you one of my favorite quotes, which is about intentions, and that is, we only judge other people by their actions, but we beg for people to judge us by our intentions. When people, no, I've not heard it said that way, but it's the same thing. Yeah, totally. We say, I, that, I, well, I, I didn't intend. I'm sorry you feel that way. Well, that wasn't my intention. You know, we ask for forgiveness or a, a pass or something by our intentions all the time, but we don't give that grace to other people. But it's also the place that most people feel most judged, most criticized because they don't feel seen in alignment with their intent. And guess what? I tried to be I was a husband and father first in the beginning of this. It was the only binary. Guess what? My actions didn't always support that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's And so that's the truth. And so that that's that's what I had to come into. So that's ownership. So let's unpack. Okay. This is feeling for the purpose of healing. Allowing yourself to feel the trash from your past and understand the physiological response and how it shows up in our bodies, similar to the way, the way I started guiding you through that. The point here, though, is not to sit in this place to feel like garbage perpetually all or long enough until it points you towards what's important. Mm -hmm. Okay, We talk about the ability to drop our armor. We teach this concept of protector and connector where we can either fabricate the idea that we're safe so we can lower our own and make sure that everyone in that environment feels safe, protected, seen, understood, and connected. Or we can unpack and actually do the healing necessary so that we don't have those trigger moments as frequently or we're only existing in it for minutes and moments versus days, weeks, months, or years, right? So unpacking is about getting to the source, the sources of what this is. But why is feeling so important? The heart has over 40,000 brain-like cells that are called sensory neurites that carry cellular memory. They've proven that if you go to therapy, for example, and just intellectually talk about your past and your problems alone, but you don't actually feel it, and have the associated embodied feelings below the neck that you actually don't heal. 
that you continue to repeat and react in those same places because the brain could heal, but the heart couldn't. And so I've said for years, we must feel in order to heal. And when I tell you that I shut off physical pain because it exceeded my ability to cope, I shut off emotional pain, mental pain, and spiritual pain for 20 to 25 years and didn't know it. I didn't even know it. What did that mean? I learned all up here. There was no penetration below the neck. I wasn't in my body. I wasn't aware. I wasn't paying attention to these things. It's going to be critical that you get to the source or sources of these things because that's also where you're going to find your treasure. That's where you're going to transform that waste into wealth because you're going to understand the intellectual and emotional narratives that were formed in those critical moments. And Brian, did you have a moment when you realized that when you say you were living up in your head and you weren't living here and here, what, what was the moment for you when you were like, you know, whether people talk about having a, a rock bottom or this sort of yeah. something, what, what happened? When did you realize that? So there was a variety of things that took place over the course of call it a 15 year period, but I'll hit on probably the two most critical. Okay. I was 27 years old the first time I started to get some observation, but it was not anywhere to the level that I was able to later. Um, it was the first moment where I started to realize that I was not living congruently. And despite my efforts to focus on human connection for that first, like that prior period of life, I was doing it through vulnerability and authenticity. I also didn't have a healthy model for chasing human connection. So I chase, I chased the rest of the world. What house, what car, what amount of money, what amount of success? By 27, we had a growing $10 million business that I had more money, had more cars, nice houses, beautiful wife in a way that I like more than I ever imagined. And I'm running in circles with people making multiple six figures, seven figures, and eight figures. And I'm realizing that I'm still isolated. I'm still disconnected and I'm still alone. Right? Now, what I had unconsciously probably convinced myself in that prior period is maybe if I build a life of significance, of, of some impact, that people might just want to be around me. Right? That was never a conscious thought, but that's what I was seeking was still connection. And so that started to help me realize we were starting to have kids right around that time. I was burning a candle at both ends. I was not as present in the first few years of my kids' lives to the level that I am now and that I desired I could have been then, but I wasn't aware, right? Yeah. But the second moment, honestly, that really shifted my whole paradigm between thinking and feeling was a moment on the couch with my daughter when she was two. I was about 32 years old and uh, she had her arm around my neck and she kissed me on the cheek after playing and said, Dad, I love you. And I broke down in tears. And I think men crying is a sign of strength, but I conditioned crying out of myself. And so I'm still learning how to do it. So when it happens, it typically takes me by surprise because it's usually something that just, it's no conscious thought. It just hits me in the heart, right? That's what happened. Mm. And I started to realize that if I'm experiencing joy in this way, then every other emotion I've ever felt is pale in comparison. And so my whole belief on human connection shifted because in that moment, Human connection without emotion isn't really human connection. And that's when I started to shift even in the language with my coaching, which was often, hey, what do you think about that? Mm. To how do you feel about that? Or both. And since then, we've developed this thinking feeling quadrant because I think the world doesn't teach us to think or feel. And I'm a big believer that we need to think about our thinking, think about our feeling, feel our thinking and feel our feeling because it's in that quadrant that we find the truth. Yeah. And when we can have the ability to sit with those long enough to understand them, that's what I started to realize is my body was giving me completely different messages than my mind. And my body was sometimes correct. My mind was sometimes correct. So that's why I say mental toughness is critical, but those highest performers are the ones that know their intellectual and emotional narratives and know how to balance and regulate between them. Brian, do you think people have to go through that phase of chasing significance to get, because 
you and I feel like we've, we've, we've both done that. I have done, you know, I'm a big Tony Robbins fan too. And, you know, the six human needs and all this stuff. And anybody who doesn't have money, car, success, that is at the forefront of, of what they're going after for most people, right? They want to get to that level and they feel everything will be okay once they get there. So do, do, do people have to go through that to realize actually you want is love connection people and there's not a lot of i don't think that everybody does but i think that those that probably have had moments in their life that they felt broken earlier Mm -hmm. uh are driven by that in ways that they don't even realize right that said i think that there's a lot of individuals that do raise a level of awareness earlier in life than certainly i did and started to realign and what i want to be really clear of is i in no way am vilifying money I'm no way verifying high levels of success. I want everyone to make as much money as they can fucking possibly make in their life. Like money helps. It creates freedom. But the other thing is, is a lot of people tie emotion to money. And I did for a long time. When in reality, money is just numbers and it's energy. And we attract it or retract it just as easily as any other energy, especially in today's world. But those are not the concepts that we understand. That's not what's taught. That's not how we're taught to process and believe. So I don't think it's necessary to reach some level of significance to have that breakthrough, aha, and awareness. Um, But I find that those are the people that will often have the greatest resources and ability to be the biggest movers of people on the other side of that. Mm -hmm. And that's what I've seen is some of the highest performers who've already reached the significance, to your point, when they learn how to actually do the healing themselves, use their story for benefit, it becomes exponential in their life, in business, in finances, in relationships, like their whole worlds change. And their perspective is so deep from all the years of not mm-hmm. that they have a deeper appreciation for it, I think, than, than maybe some others. But I've worked with people who figured this out at 15, 19, 22. Like, I think everybody has their own path. Mm-hmm. That's the problem, though, is everybody's trying to walk the path that the world has told them who to be versus just honoring who they are at the core. And that's what I'm trying to get everybody back to. Yeah. Uh, well, thanks for taking that detour with me. Okay. Awareness. Unpack number four. Flip the lid. Flip the lid is something that can be done in the moment. And flip the lid can be something that I encourage everyone to do at the end of every single day. This is laying out your trash in the light. What emotions and thoughts are running through you right now. Whenever you do the exercise, don't attempt to rationalize. Don't just list them out. This is about separating yourself from the fight or flight in the moment so that you can respond. Okay. So what does flip the lid look like in real time? Well, my wife could say something to me that I could hear through my shame filter again, right? Real time flipping the lid includes awareness and ownership in the moment, right? Which would mean, man, I felt myself react. I felt myself get protective. Okay. Now, what does that mean? I can empower myself by taking ownership real time and say, Hey, babe, I'm not sure I heard you correctly. Do you mind restating it? And I'll try to hear it through a more neutral lens. And if I can't do that, maybe we can pause this conversation and revisit it later. How long did that take you, Brian, to do that? Because I still find myself when we are so overwhelmed with emotion and we're so certain in that emotion that like you forget all this rational, practical stuff. How long did it take yep. to that kind of practice? So I'm going to, I'm going to answer it in two ways. For me to learn that pattern and start to be able to apply it with any kind of consistency, um, I would tell you that it was through a deep period of intention over the course of about six months. But I'd also be lying if I told you that I don't still have moments today that I don't do it perfectly, right? Like, again, it's cellular memory and I have no years of experience 
in a reactionary state than I do in a response state. And so it can be taught in minutes and moments, but in actual application, it took me six to 18 months before it was like the norm. Yeah. And there's still moments that my wife and I screw up. Yeah. Right? Like, but, but it was not something that I just made a conscious decision on. And I told you I ate shit for six months. Right. So what did that mean? Like not all those situations where I was like, reaction, but that didn't matter because what did I do? I had the masculine, strong, commanding, controlling energy. Mm -hmm. I set the tone. Mm -hmm. Right. And if I don't create emotional safety, in my realm of emotional safety, then it doesn't matter what else I do. I like to say my wife and I have been together for 17 years. We hid from each other for 14 and she's only felt emotionally safe with me for maybe 12 to 18 months. Wow. Wow. Brad, that's really brave to, to say that. And I think there are a lot of people out there are probably saying, thank you for saying that because so, so many times we think that nobody must have any kind of trash that looks like my trash. So I'm just going to keep mine to myself, but yeah. it can't be, there's nobody who has this bad or whatever. Um, yeah. yeah, really. And, and again, I will also reaffirm from my end too. I still find myself, you know, when I had a fight with my boyfriend a few weeks ago, I'm like, how, how did I get there? That wasn't about him. That was about unhealed trauma and wounds that I'm yeah. getting surface and taking out on him. And, and yeah. you don't get too many of those moments. You keep doing that. You will fray your relationship at some point. It can't take those continued, uh, yeah burst it just can't and so we all have to do the work to heal ourselves and here's the crazy part i want to jump on even what you just said because again i told you we hid from each other for 14 years she was trying to bring this to my attention for over a decade in some form and fashion and there was progress in lots of little ways yeah but the deep-seated element of it was so strong and uh you know it was one of those pieces that like i legitimately didn't see i didn't understand i couldn't i couldn't move through but the other side of it is we're human which Perfection is not expected, but it's establishing trust. And I used to say, as a man, there were moments, and I've talked to my wife about this, like, I used to think she was so weak mm. in moments. By the way, I, I'm my wife, I'm with her because she was the first woman I was with that pushed back on me. She is not weak in any way. But there were moments that, like, I would get big and I'd be like, stop playing with victims, stop this, stop that, whatever. She's not the strongest woman on the planet if she could endure my energy for 14 to 15 years without me understanding it. And it took me a minute to be able to sit in that. Right. And so, so when you said she was weak because she didn't fight back with you, she didn't do that. She just said, she just like, okay. No, it was just easy to put blame and shame and all of the ways that she reacted. Like, why yeah. don't you stand your ground? Why don't you tell me what's going on? Why don't you communicate? She didn't feel she could. Mm, mm. It was really, but it was really, right? But the reason I highlight that is how often are we misunderstood and we actually still believe it's the other person? Yeah. Yeah. I used to do that a lot. I used to do that a lot. Um, I, and it took, you know, I've been in therapy three times in and out, just like w working through certain things. But yeah, I'll tell you the, the, the most progress I've ever made is when I, when you start to take accountability and say, what, if there's a relationship that's frayed and I'm not taking 50% of the responsibility, the relationship's never going to improve. It's, it yeah. can't always be the other person and it can't be more than 50% of the other person. Yeah. And so uh, that's, that's spot on. So the other piece on flipping the lid, that's real time in the moment, right? Like you've got to be able to get yourself in the place to be able to understand it. At least you're not going to be able to communicate it perfectly the first time. The second side of this though, is flipping the lid. I want people to flip the lid and scan their can every day at the end of the day. If we take all our trash in our houses and our business every day, why don't we take 
a toll on what we've collected throughout the day in those moments where we felt judged or criticized, we felt unworthy, we got triggered by something that didn't acknowledge it or process it, we just pushed it down like we always do, right? Here's the reality, the world tells us to push through, show up with a smile on, be happy all the time, and every time we push through, we push down. It's a fact. Now, there's times in moments of performance that that's required in life, right? It is in business, on the spirits field, but largely we have to give ourselves the ability to look at this every day. What were those moments of trigger? What narratives were shaped around them? What feelings am I still carrying with them so that you can release it before you bury it and have it go into memory consolidation in your stage three REM sleep, which then commits it further to the shame and blame pattern to escape. So every day I want people to release this, list those things out, unpack it. The fifth uh, pillar is move. This is how do these emotions and reactions move through your body? How do they move through your world? And how do you move through them? That's the concept, okay? So what do I mean by that? Move through my body. It's the physiological response. I told you one of my anger responses was I'd elevate, I'd, I'd feel myself grow, I'd get bigger, I'd get louder. My shame responses look completely different in some cases, right? I can shrink down, I might bite my tongue, I might have a different physiological response. I need to know how the emotions are moving through my body, not the labels, not the external definitions of what I'm feeling, but literally physiologically. Is my jaw locking up? Am I feeling a knot in my throat? Do I get tension in the back of my neck? Like, in your body, get in your body. There's five or six different ways that shame moves through my body and five or six different ways that anger moves through my body. Mm. Pretty damn hard to identify it if I think it's just one way every time inconsistent. Don't say that shame is the ultimate wolf in sheep's clothing because it shows up as scarcity, guilt, control, perfectionism, like so many things that we label differently. Mm-hmm. Until we know how it moves through our body, we can't get ourselves caught up. The second piece that's important is how does it move through our world, i.e. what triggers you? I have over 50 shame triggers that I'm aware of and over 60 anger triggers that I'm aware of. Why is that important? Why is that important? Well, I have a son on the spectrum and I have a daughter who's hearing impaired. It's just a fact, right? We have two chihuahuas in our house. When the doorbell goes off and they start barking, I don't shit I'm on sensory overload and I'm like automatically on edge. Like it just triggers me, right? Why is that important? If I have that energy right after and I'm, I haven't put in the time to understand it, I don't know where it's coming from. I haven't been able to release it. When my son or my daughter jumps in my lap two minutes later, what energy are they going to get from me? Mm-hmm. They're not getting the soft, gentle, loving, heartfelt dad. They're getting the edge that's trying to process out the release. But why this is so important is you don't have to carry it for longer than seconds lets you start to understand the patterns because once you understand how those pair, you can proactively start to understand in those moments what's happening. And in that moment of trigger, in that moment of reaction, I want everybody to be able to ask two questions. Two questions, right? To so the whole point of like, how do I get myself centered? I might not have the communication, but I can ask myself these questions. The first is, am I reacting right now due to what's right in front of me or the trash from my past? And I can guarantee you that 99% of the time, it's going to be the trash from your past. Mm -hmm. But the second question, and this is probably the more clarifying opening question is, what are you protecting right now? Mm -hmm. Because all of that reaction is coming from that same protectionary place designed to help us be seen and understood and connected at the deepest level. And so if we understand that, 
and we know that I get triggered and we know that anger is armor and we know that these reactions push things away from us, then what am I protecting right now? Well, I'm going to get real uh, vulnerable with you and give an example because I just want to share to try to help some other people understand this stuff. So I, I was, I have a dad who uh, I love, but he's never provided for us. My dad has addict has had several addictions in his life, uh, drugs, alcohol, and gambling. Um, so my dad has never known how to make money provide and at a very young age. You know, I was, I was like, money is never going to impact my life that way. Hence a big reason for my drive and success. I support my father. Um, and I have felt resentment building over that over the last little while in my life of you never loved me enough to take care of me, to, to support me, to provide my, me if something ever happened to me or my brother or my sister, you would never be able to do anything about it. That is your responsibility as a father, but instead as your daughter, I'm doing it for you. And I had this big emotional conversation with him. And then, you know, I'm in the presence uh, of my boyfriend and um, I'm feeling undesired by him. I'm feeling like, why, you know, I, I hadn't seen him in a week and I'm sort of like, why are you not ravishing me? You know, whatever. And I felt it, this immediate rejection of another man I'm not good enough for. Another man going to take care of me. Exactly. And it, it, it and Brian, it like blew up and it took 24 hours and you'd be like, this isn't even about you. This is about another man. Again, I'm taking all of this, putting it on you. And, and I shut down. I was like, I can't no. do this. I can't be here because that pain is so deep. And the idea of enduring that with someone I love so much was just overwhelming. And I felt so certain in that moment with that decision of I'm leaving. And it literally took 24 hours to, and I'm like, I'm like, I cannot believe, of course I don't want that. But it was so powerful. So that's when I asked you about the six months, the 12 months, months. I can see how long that would take when that powerful emotion is, is sitting with such certainty in you for you to be like, this isn't about what's in front of me. This is about guilt, yeah. trauma. And I have to pause, reflect, breathe, and you know, continue to do this work. Otherwise, I'm going to ruin this relationship in front of me. And thank you for bringing us into that moment and being vulnerable the way that you are, because that relates in so many ways to so many relationships and business life. And people are going to resonate with what you just said. The critical part that I really want to highlight for everybody who just listened to that is there are literally moments of reaction that can change the entire trajectory of our lives. Mm -hmm. And if we are not reacting or responding based on actual, objective, non-judgmental truth, then we're reacting to stuff that's not even real, yeah. right? You reacted to your boyfriend on something that had nothing to do with him at all. Yeah. You could have left the relationship, left him in turmoil, like so confused, so misunderstood. Now you didn't. And it's beautiful that you were able to bring yourself back. But there are so many people I know who in a singular moment of reaction ruin their lives. Yeah. Right. And, and I don't want to see anyone else ruin their life. It doesn't have to be so hard. Yeah. Um, truth, truthfully, it, 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 again, do a back to Renee. She talks about the ham sandwich moment when she had this huge fight with her husband and blew up with him. And she's like, there's only so many ham sandwich moments that a relationship can take. And this is why it is important. We do our individual work to show up in ways that serve yeah. us and the people that we love. Now, what I want to say for those is on the other side, 
you can create more ham sandwich moments when you have more established trust, right? What I will tell you is over two years later, there's only been about five situations where our house has felt the negative ramifications of anger as a result of me. It's probably been over nine months since a, since a bigger one. But the reality of it is, is the level of connection that my wife and I have been able to facilitate with each other has led to pure intimacy in a way that we've never experienced. And I don't just mean that sexually, right? but we are opening up. Like I said, we hid from each other for so long, but that's beautiful now is we both can still have cellular reactions in moments, but we've learned different ways to move through it as individuals and together, right? There was something that just happened a couple of weeks ago where I had a couple of weekends consistently where I just had a little bit more of an edge to me. It's not my baseline recently. It's not the normative factor. But what did it feel like to my wife? A resurgence of all the shit that's been gone now for a long time. She's completely justified in that feeling and that understanding. So we had to have a clearing moment and a conversation that was objective, really seeking perspective. And it was a moment that I was blind as well, where I didn't see her perspective, which was real. Yeah. And so again, what I want to say is, is, there are root of things that can happen that don't have to blow up. And once you have established trust and you've done enough repair, you're not working from a deficit in the same way that you once were. The first 12 months, I was in a deficit, right? I had to like get myself back to a baseline so that she could establish some emotional safety so that then we could build. But once you're back on the positive side of the equation, you get a lot more leeway and flexibility and life flows a whole lot easier. Can I ask you a personal question? Of course, nothing's off limits. Thank you. And um, does alcohol play a role in your life at all? I stopped drinking about four years ago. I I would tell you that I didn't have a problem with it, uh, but it made me operate in that lower frequency energy more than anything else. It brought out the worst sides in me. And alcohol, if I'm being honest, was only ever armor and protection for myself to be able to blend in environments that I believed I should or needed to be in and didn't feel comfortable. And it just got to a point where it wasn't serving me. I've also dealt with a lot of physical pain and I stopped drinking because I started associating my physical pain and inflammation towards the alcohol. Yeah. Um, but we have alcoholics in our families. We've got codependency, different elements of those dynamics. So yes, alcohol played a role in my life. It was negative. Uh, fortunately, like I say, I don't think that that was, was the problem, but it definitely didn't help. Yeah. I, I ask because exactly to that point, I, 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 I've pretty much quit drinking. I had a huge revelation last year and exactly that, like I wasn't an alcoholic, but alcohol was showing up in a lot of areas. And I noticed when I would be agitated or frustrated or as like, I have a drink in me, I have this and, and there's just no benefit. And exactly. It was lowering my frequency and it's been one of the best things I have done. Yeah. It's huge. It's, it's huge. And we don't talk about it enough and we, and a lot of times people just think like, well, I don't have a problem. I'm like, well, you don't have to be pissing your bed and, you know, get fired from your job to think that their alcohol is not benefiting you yeah. or that it should just continue to play a big role in your life. And I try not to be preachy with that because it took me a long time, but it's, yeah. it's just like, it feels like that may. I think it's really about people finding like a healthy relationship and integration with it in their lives. I think that there's a lot of high performers in particular who yeah. it was competitive. We played drinking games like, it was gamified. And honestly, it's the only drug in our society that people are publicly shamed if they don't consume it, uh -huh. which blows me away, yeah. right? Because we know the damaging effects of it. Now, I like a good drink, right? Will I still have a drink occasionally? Yes, I will. It's a calculated decision 
and I'm doing it through those places because I enjoy the experience or the flavor. Again, just like money, I'm not verifying the alcohol. It's what role does it play in your life and where are you using it to numb or protect yourself? Yeah, and, and perfect. Exactly. Again, I don't not, not drink ever, but it's exactly that. Why am I doing this? What is going on? Is there an emotion? Mm-hmm. You know, did I plan on this? Is it is a reaction? And so it's just exactly the healthy conversation back and forth with myself and checking myself more than just like letting it be like, oh, of course I'm going to have a drink. Of course this, of course it never even, it never was even a debate in my head before. So um, Brian, this has been really awesome and and helpful. And we talked about a lot. I'll just say personally, one of the key things you said for me, which I, I didn't even say when you said it was, does that person want something from you more than they want for you? And I was like, wow, that's, that's a big thing in my life that I've been paying a lot of attention to. Um, especially as it relates to achievement with love. And I've provided a lot of financial support to a lot of people. Of course. And I'm just like, you know, am I do am I making it feel that that person's not going to love me if I don't do that? Where's my responsibility there? So thanks for so much enlightenment today. Thank you for honoring that. Uh, the, can, I, can I say one thing on that? Because I think it's really important. I want everybody to hear it, right? What what you just talked about is is really, really critical, but I think it's important for people to bring that into their place of their own awareness and really understand all and absorb of what you just said, because so many of the high performers in the world, again, have dynamics of shame that exist, mm-hmm. right? And this perpetually is a problem where we are overextending ourselves or again, receiving that love, validation or connection just based on our pattern of our past. And so really pay attention to this because again, honor protects pain Boundaries are a communicated contract that exists based on your clear existence. And when you can have healthy and effective boundaries, you can still give plentifully and you can align yourself with those who want fuller you as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. That's the, the a big work of what I'm doing right now. So I was just like, oh, as soon as you said that, I'm like, that that resonates. Um, Brian, where can people learn more about you? And do you have ongoing coaching programs or, or what's- Yeah, gonna- we do. We do. We do. We've got, um, so if you're a website person, you go to brianboger.com or if you're on social media, you can find me at, at Brian on any of them. Um, we have a rapid fire coaching community that I will, I talk about often. This is one of our lower zero barrier of entries for financial reasons for people to enter. It's a group where we do hot seat coaching. We meet on zoom and do through topical pieces. We typically coach 10 to 15 people per call. Um, and we get 30 days free in the community and it's only $44 a month after that. Like genuinely the impact and the value is so far outstacked on this, but this is one of the ways that I can remain congruent with knowing that I want to help everyone, even if they don't have the ability to pay our one-to-one work rates and other stuff. So yes, we've got lots of programs. Uh, we run challenges. We've got big events. So if you get into our world, you'll learn about it. Awesome. Well, Brian, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time, energy, knowledge, enthusiasm. And it's clear that you have a real passion for for helping people. And you do it in such a way that from your own experiences that you, you're you able to communicate that you've done this work, you're going through this. And it's not that, oh, well, I've got this all figured out and you're preaching at people, which is such a more effective way to, to help people learn and, and trust you um, when you do it that way. So thank you. Thank you, my friend. Hey everyone, if you are loving these how-to podcasts, I would greatly appreciate you to follow, rate, and review. It helps us get these podcasts out to more people who are looking for these actionable items on how to make real progress in their life. Thank you so much. You know I appreciate you.